The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. To turn your Bibles to Psalm 42 this morning. We will next week begin, or resume, should I say, our study of Hebrews, picking up in chapter 2, where we left off before I had to uh, head out of town. But this morning I want us to look at Psalm 42. I'm sure what your life has been like in the last uh, week or so. Mine's been a bit frenetic. Um, many of you know that uh, last weekend I was activated with the military to go up to North Carolina to the Outer Banks to work with some of our service members who had experienced a significant loss as a result of the hurricane that, um, uh, that missed us. We celebrated as it missed us, but others uh, experienced great loss just north of us. And um, as that storm uh, came ashore, many, uh, I think, um, sort of undersold it. Oh, it was just a little Category 1 by the time it landed. Well, if you were where it landed, you wouldn't be saying that, believe me. It hung around for a while. And uh, there are many who lost everything and a lot who lost a lot of things. And... Uh, So this past week, I've been there uh, in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, where they took a lot of damage and working with the Coast Guardsmen and uh, folks who were there who were still out doing the mission, uh, serving our nation faithfully uh, in spite of having, in many cases, lost everything or at least things that were precious to them with families dislocated and evacuated all over the place. And uh, if you would continue to pray for... uh, Certainly all the communities that were affected by the storm, but particularly those who serve our nation, whose mission doesn't end because a storm came and they lost things. And so if you would pray for them, I know they would appreciate that. Also, um, I came home uh, Friday, as many of you know, to, uh, due to the fact my mother-in-law had a massive stroke and is uh, still uh, in the ICU at Medical University right now. Sort of uh, battling through the effects of that, and sort of the results of that remain in the Lord's hands. So, would appreciate if you would continue to uh, pray for her, uh, for certainly my wife and our family, her brother, as we walk through that. Uh, as I was thinking about, uh, sort of on a, a short and compressed week this week, what to talk with you about this morning, knowing that you would be anxious to get out of here and go picnic. Uh, I thought I would talk about something that was really encouraging and exciting, and then I changed my mind and went to Psalm 42, and uh, I thought that this morning we could look at Psalm 42. Uh, Really, if I'm being completely transparent with you, uh, it's it's really simply my own humble sort of an effort at, at preaching to myself and practicing what this text is going to demand that we all do. So... I want to go there this morning because I think uh, all of you, regardless of what your week looked like this week, uh, will, will have some connection to this text and will in some way, even if not right now at this very second, there will be some point of contact between your life and what we find in Psalm 42. And I pray that God would be gracious and help us all uh, as we work our way through. Let me read this psalm to you. Psalm 42. It says, To the choir master, a masculine, the sons of Korah, As deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise Him again, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer 
to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise Him, my salvation and my God. It's the word of the Lord for us this morning. One of the things that struck me this week uh, as I was serving in the Outer Banks was how impressed I was with the remarkable ability of the people that I was working with to be able to bounce back from tremendous loss and to sort of valiantly, courageously continue on with the mission in front of them with very little complaining or grumbling. It was amazing to me as I sit and talk to young 20-something-year-olds who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, almost all of them completely lost and far from God, having faced tremendous stress and loss, being able to, to pursue the mission in front of them without, without griping and complaining or, or feeling sorry for themselves. And I have to say that stood in, in, in stark contrast in my mind to what as a pastor I often see in the life of the body of Christ in times when there is no particular storm or stress or pain to deal with. It is a stark contrast to what I see in my own soul at times, far too frequent than I would like to admit. And there was a contrast that was brewing in my heart throughout the week, and it struck me that, why is this so? Why is it that, that the lost world that I'm encountering has it, it, faced such tremendous loss, and they're able to plow ahead with very little griping and complaining and feeling sorry for themselves. And yet in the body of Christ, there is so much complaining and there is so much feeling sorry for ourselves and there is so much anxiety and worry and fear like a wet blanket that just covers our souls and our lives and our words and our attitudes so often. And the reality kind of shook my soul that there's something upside down and backwards about that. It should not be that way for me. It should not be that way for you. It should be really the other way around. It should be the church to whom the world looks at and says, Look at those folks. They've lost so much. How is it that they smile? How is it that they beam with joy? How is it that they pursue the mission that God has placed their lives on this earth to pursue with such passion and courage in spite of all that's gone wrong? And I think it's because in this area we allow ourselves excuses for not obeying the word of the Lord. What we're going to talk about this morning is a psalmist battle plan for anxiety-driven despair. We're going to talk about it because, uh, being transparent with you, I think it's the most pervasive sin in my own life. I'm convinced by 23 years of experience in the body of Christ, it is the most pervasive, the most overlooked, the most excused sin in the American Christian church. The sin of giving oneself over to fear and anxiety and worry in our lives. And so we look at that issue this morning because I think it needs a spotlight on it in my life. And so the sermon is therapeutic to me, but I think it needs one in yours too. And so we looked this morning at Psalm 42, because in Psalm 42, we get, we get to sort of do what we don't get to do in other parts of Scripture. That's why I love the Psalms. You, get to, you move away from theology that is just sort of a mental thing to, to know and understand, and you get to parachute into the life of a real human being who is in the thick of actual real life who is fleshing out and working out his theology in in the pain that is around him that's real, that hurts. And he's working it out in a way, particularly in this case, that isn't fully clear. He is clearly struggling with the things that you struggle with. He's clearly struggling with 
the things I struggle with. He's clearly trying to work out how is it that I'm to navigate life in a world where things go wrong and things go bad and I don't always understand what's going on and I don't always understand why God is doing or not doing what He is doing or isn't doing at the moment. How does my theology sort of walk me through that and allow me to navigate such times with joy rather than despair, with peace rather than turmoil and worry? fear captivating my soul that's what this psalm is about that's a man just a man he's a worship leader in the congregation we find that about him as we work our way through but he's a man who's living life where there's pain where there's hardship where there's great loss and where he does not understand what's going on around him most of the time And he doesn't understand why God is and is not doing what God is and is not doing. And it's helpful to us, I think, to just walk with this man through his pain and then to see the battle plan that he lays out. I think it will touch you in places of your life where it's touched me. Worry is a dangerous, dangerous thing. We blow it off like it's no big deal, like we just carry a little anxiety. We, we say, well, we're just like that, you know. I just get a little worried sometimes, but it's no big deal. We act like, well, it's not like it's murder. It's not like it's adultery. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm doing something really harsh. I just, you know, I just, I just give myself over to anxiety sometimes. And I, I just, you know, sort of allow myself to be captivated by fear. But that's not that big of a deal, comparatively speaking. Well, the facts and statistics tell us it is a big deal. Anxiety disorders, we're told, are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting over 19 million people right now. Actually, that's an older statistic, so uh, no doubtedly that number's grown. People with anxiety disorders, that's the way the world describes people who've given themselves over to anxiety and fear and worry are three three to five times more likely to go to the doctor, six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than people who don't. Statistics tell us women are twice as likely as men to be affected, but men are certainly affected just the same. 43% of adults suffer suffer the health effects due to worry and stress. That is to say that 43% of adults have physical manifestations that are the direct result of caring and being given over to stress and anxiety and worry. It's affected their bodies, their health. Worry has been linked to all the leading causes of death, including heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidents, cirrhosis, and suicide. Giving over to fear and anxiety and worry keeps us up at night. It keeps us from sleeping. It keeps us from eating. It keeps us from doing the things we need to keep our bodies healthy. And if it goes on long enough, it can kill us. It's not a small deal. It's not. William Ng said this. He said, worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. It's a good description. Interest paid on trouble before it's due. William Ward put it this way. Worry is faith in the negative. It's trust in the unpleasant. Assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. I like this part. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. We all know this. And you're all dreading this because you feel it in your heart that it touches you. What do we do? What do we do when life goes crazy? What do we do when we feel inside of us welling up anxiety and worry and fear and we feel it like the flood water is starting to rise and we know it's coming and we feel it rising what do we do do we give over to it do we indulge it do we feed it or do we fight it we see the psalmist in psalm 42 is a man who fights he's a man who fights He's a man who says, you know what, I feel it, it's coming, it's in me, it's welling up, it's got me in turmoil at the moment, but I'm not content to stay there. I refuse to give myself over to this. I'm going to do battle. And I'm going to do battle with the truth of God. 
before we see how he does battle, let's just sort of dive into his pain a little bit. And we only have time sort of to hit the highlights this morning. So let me just kind of walk you through this quickly. What we see in this is this. In verse 6, by the way, we don't need to move chronologically through this because it's a psalm and it's poetic. And so therefore, it's kind of given to us in fragments throughout. But let's begin in verse 6 where we see the first thing we need to see about this psalmist. It gives us some context for his pain. What we see there is that he's had deep pain that's brought him to deep despair. Deep pain has brought in his life deep despair. He says in verse 6, My soul is cast down within me. The New American Standard translation says, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. This is not a man who's saying, you know, I'm just having a bad day. You know, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Things just haven't, you know, kind of gone my way today. This is a man who's saying, I am, I am, I'm hitting the bottom. I am in despair. At the depths of my soul, I am, I am quickly approaching rock bottom. He doesn't tell us all of the details of what's gone on to get him to this place. We just simply know that all the things that have gone on have been severe things, and they're things that have lingered on for a long time. We know that he's prayed for these things to go away, and for whatever reason, God has not taken them away. And because of that, he's at the point of despair. And he says, what? My soul is cast down within me. I'm in despair. We see some evidence of what's gone on. He tells us that there are enemies around him that brought deep pain in his life. Verse 9, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So there are enemies. There are people around him that in some way, shape, or form are coming against him and oppressing him. By the way, Psalm 43, the following psalm to this one, some think that this was actually at one time one long psalm that's been split up into two because the themes are very similar. So I'll quote Psalm 43 as we work along. And we see evidence of these same things in Psalm 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. So you see this theme over three times. There are people out there that are oppressing the man. We don't know all that they're doing to him, but they're doing something that's bringing pain to his life. They're doing something that's causing him to despair. They're seeking his destruction. They're ungodly people, and he's a godly man. And he's struggling with this. On top of that, in the midst of all of that, he and his God are being mocked. Do you see that? Verse 42, excuse me, verse 3 of chapter 42, Psalm 42. And they say to me, this is these enemies, all day long, where is your God? It's bad enough that you're in despair. It's bad enough that you're surrounded by people who are oppressing you and out to destroy you. But in the mix of all of that, the people who are out to destroy you know that you are a believer in God. They know that you're a a person who belongs to the Lord. And they're looking at you and they're saying, where is your God? If he's real, why are you suffering? If he's real, why hasn't he come to your defense? If he's real, why are you in despair? Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So he's suffering. He's being oppressed. His faith is being mocked. His God is being mocked. And if that isn't enough, it gets worse. We see that he's feeling abandoned by God himself. You see verse 9, I say to God, my rock... What? Why have you forgotten me? Psalm 43, 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? As we'll see, this man hasn't lost his faith. He just feels abandoned. He just feels like God has abandoned him. He still trusts in God. He still believes in God. His faith has not has not crumbled under the weight of his mourning and his pain and his trouble. But in his heart and in his soul, he feels like God has rejected him. He feels like God has abandoned him. He feels like God is distant and he isn't listening. He's lost that that feeling of intimacy and closeness with God. In fact, he begins the psalm by saying, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul 
for you. My soul thirsts for the for God, for the living God. Now, I remember when I was a kid in church, we used to sing. Uh, there was a song that these these words were put to. Did you sing it? It was called "As the Deer." It has this happy little tune. I, I, I would try and sing it to you, but that would ruin the whole morning. But it's a happy little tune, you know. And, you know, I, I can't even do it for you. I, if I had somebody up here who could, I'd let them do it. But it's a happy little tune, and it gives you this image of Bambi, you know, sort of floating around by a happy stream, drinking water, enjoying his little day. It totally misses capturing the meaning of this text. When we read him say, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, the image should not be in our mind of happy Bambi jumping around by streams of water, quenching his thirst at will. We should think of a deer that's being pursued by a hunter who's firing at him at every corner. And the deer is running for life. He is running and dodging trees, and he's been running and running and running, and he is dying of thirst. If he doesn't get the streams of water, if he's not able to get a drink, if he's not able to to find rest for his body, he is literally going to die. Because that's how this man feels. He feels like he's being hunted. He feels like he's running for his life, and he's been running and running and harder and harder. And if he can't... If he cannot get to God somehow and drink, he's going to die. That's how he feels on the inside. He's like the deer running from the hunter. He's desperate to see God. He's desperate to feel close to God. Let me ask you, let me just pause right there. Can can you identify with this man at all? Can you identify with him at all? Has there ever been a moment in your life when people on the outside have been oppressing you? When pain and difficulty has come into your life and and you're, you're, you're pleading with God to make it go away? You're praying and you're asking Him over and over, perhaps over a length of time, and, and you just feel like He's abandoning you, you feel like He isn't listening to you, 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 you feel like He's maybe even rejecting you, and you've been running and running hard and hard, and you're feeling desperate that if He doesn't come through somehow soon... You're going to crack? That's how this man feels. In verse 4, he tells us that his memories make it even worse. He says, the things, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. He's remembering the good old days. He's remembering what it was like to lead the congregation in worship. He was remembering what it was like to go to the house of the Lord and to be with God's people, to find all the encouragement that comes when God's people gather, to find all the joy that our spirits gain when we gather together and we worship in the house of the Lord. It's been a long time. He hasn't been there. And he's thinking about how wonderful it was in the days when he could do that and experience that. And he's wondering, I wonder if those days will ever come back again. Will there ever be a time in my life when I'll experience that joy that I had in the past? Will I ever be able to go back to the way it used to be? When I was at peace. When there was joy. When I was encouraged. Will I ever feel that again? Verse 3 tells us he's sleepless. He's lost his appetite. He's weeping. My tears have been my food day and night, he says. He can't sleep. All he can do is cry. Can't eat. All he can do is weep. His tears have been his food, he says. He gives us even a deeper insight in verse 7 when he says this, Deep calls to deep, the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's using some poetic imagery there, but let me just summarize quickly what he's saying to you. He's saying, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like a man who has gone overboard, and the waves are crashing all around me, and I'm hanging on desperately to a piece of driftwood, and at any second I feel like I might just go under, and that might be it. What he's describing here is his emotional life. He's describing what's going on inside of him. He's describing... That turmoil that he talked about. He feels like he's drowning. He's drowning in anxiety. He's drowning in worry. He's drowning in fear. 
He's drowning in despair. Ever felt those things? Ever felt like God was a million miles away? You ever had other people hurt you, mock you? You ever had sleepless nights when you couldn't eat and you couldn't sleep? All you could do is weep? Ever felt like your sorrow was going to overwhelm you and you were going to go under? Well, that's how this man feels. And you should note that he's not just any man, he's a godly man. He's a godly man. And you say, wait a minute, hold the phone. I thought bad stuff like that was just supposed to happen to lost people. But you're telling me a godly man can get to a place like that? You're telling me that a godly woman can be overwhelmed like that? That's what he says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, if we were to parachute into the life of the Apostle Paul, you would hear the Apostle Paul say that stress has come into our lives. Stress has happened in my life. And I, I, it's, it's been so bad that we've despaired even of life. Paul got to that place too. So we all can get to that place. Being believers does not insulate us from pain. It does not insulate us from persecution or oppression. It does, not, it does not insulate us from the circumstances of life that give us good reasons to be anxious and to worry and to be afraid. Christianity does not insulate us one iota from any of that. And if you've ever believed that it does, then you've believed a lie. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever in such circumstances is not that believers are insulated and unbelievers are not. The difference is believers battle it a different way than unbelievers do. You see, Christians do what this man does. He says, this is my pain and here's where I am. But I refuse to give myself over to this. I, I, I refuse to allow myself permission to indulge this. I'm going to fight it. And so he does. Here's his battle plan. We'll quickly lay it out. First thing he decides to do is this. He runs to God, not away. His pain, his oppression, his despair, his anxieties, his fears, all of those things are driving him not away from his God, but they're driving him to his God. And you see, now there is a distinction between a believer and an unbeliever. Because when, we, when believers suffer, our pain and our, our anxieties and our fears and our worries drive us to the Lord, not away from Him. If we had time, we would look at the parable of the soils that Jesus lays this out in Matthew chapter 13, where He describes those who, at least on the outside, look like they belong to the body of Christ, but when persecution comes into their life and tribulation is brought into their lives, they fall away from the Lord. And Jesus' point is, persecution and pain and despair and fearful circumstances are one of the ways that God slices and dices and makes clear between who, who is one that belongs to Him and who isn't. This man belongs to his God. He runs to his God. He doesn't run away from Him. He goes after Him. But not only that, there's a second thing that he does. When he runs to God, what does he do? Well, he pours out his heart in prayer. These things I remember, he says in verse 4, as I pour out my soul. This psalm, in essence, is part of his battle plan. He comes down and he picks up pen and he picks up paper and he begins to put into words on paper what he is saying to the Lord. He pours out his heart to the Lord. And by the way, if you read this prayer in the form of a song, it's not your typical churchy prayer, right? You know what I mean by a churchy prayer? I mean the kind of prayers we pray in front of each other, where we use all that cool, you know, spiritual language, and we make it sound like, you know, we're worried about what people think about us, and we don't want anybody to know that we really suffer, and so we just say sort of simple things, surface things, and it sounds all frivolous and sweet. That's not the kind of prayer this is. This is raw. This is raw prayer. This is a man who says, you know what, all pretense is out the window. Here's where I am. Here's where I am. It's authentic, it's honest, it's unashamed. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Do you hear the honesty in all of that? 
He's saying, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why you're not answering me. I don't know why you're letting this happen. I don't know why when I pray, I still feel distant. I don't know why you're not coming to my defense. I don't understand. He knows God's character. He knows that God is faithful and loving and sovereign and good. He just can't understand why God isn't showing that right now. And so he cries out and he asks him, You know what? God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of my questions. He wants us to come to Him. He says, "Cast your Lord Jesus said, cast your cares on me because I care about you. He wants to hear. My soul thirsts for God. When shall I come and appear before God? Verse 2. The contemporary English version captures this a little differently. It says, when will I see your face? It's really the essence of what he's asking. God, you're distant. When will I ever see you? When will I ever feel close to you? When will I ever feel like we're tight again? Because right now I don't feel like that. When will I ever be able to worship and praise you again? When will I ever be able to gather and sing to you with joy again? Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause, he says. Show them I'm right to trust in you. Show all these people who are mocking you that it's right for me to trust you. Show them who you are. Send out your light and your truth, he says. He's just a man who's pouring out his heart to the Lord. Telling God what he feels like he needs at the moment. And asking God the hard questions for which there is no answer. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just run to God, pray, and sit back and say, well, I guess it's in the Lord's hands now. He takes it a step further, and he does a third thing. He preaches to himself. This is the, the chorus of the song, if you will. You probably captured it as we were reading it together. Verse 5, verse 11, and then it repeats again in uh, Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? I want you to say that with me. Why are you cast down within me, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? You know what this is? This is the psalmist preaching to himself. He's looking at himself and he's saying to himself, Self, it ought not be like this. Self, what right do you have to wallow in your pain? Self, why are you here? Self, what are you doing wallowing? What are you doing not trusting God? What are you doing giving yourself over to turmoil and to despair? He challenges his emotions. What reason do you have for feeling like this? He says to himself, have you forgotten God? Have you forgotten who he is? Have you forgotten his promises? Have you forgotten his love? Have you forgotten his sovereignty? Where do you get off wallowing in your sorrows like this? This is a man, he's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to himself. You know, so many times you and I, when there's pain and there's oppression and there's circumstances that give us good reasons to be afraid and worried and anxious... Instead of preaching a message like this to ourselves, we look in the mirror and we, we, we wallow in our pity. We feel sorry for ourselves. And we want everybody else to feel sorry for us too. And there's a part of us that just likes to indulge it. And this man says, no way. I'm preaching to myself a message. Why are you like this? This is not how God has made you. This is not how it ought to be. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? You see, when we're given over to those kinds of things, they blind us to realities and we forget things that matter. Jesus exposes this in Matthew 6, 25 and following. He says this in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap nor, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like these. But if God clothes... The grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious. 
The Gentiles seek after all these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's a a direct passage. And Jesus says, Do not be anxious. Do not give yourselves up and over to worry and anxiety. And He lays out for us the things we forget when we do so. The first thing he tells us is this. He tells me that when I give myself myself over to anxiety and worry and fear, I forget some things. And here's what I forget. I forget there's more to life than my possessions and my circumstances. I forget that there's more to my life than that. I forget that God has created me for something more. That God has created me, in fact, for an eternal life with Him. That, that what God has made me to be and created me to be and is preparing for me even now is an eternal life with Him forever. And everything that I experience right now is temporary at worst. My life is bigger than what I have or don't have. My life is bigger than what I feel right now or don't feel. I forget that when I'm anxious. I forget that I have a father. I forget that I have a father. And nobody said, look at the birds and look at the lilies. Don't you, don't you know that your heavenly Father, don't you think He cares more about you than that? You know what? I have a son. He's 10. He's a cool kid. But you know what I know about him? He never worries about what he's going to eat the next day. Never. Never. As long as he's been alive, he's never worried one time about what he was going to eat or whether he's going to have clothes to wear. You know why? Because he has a father. And from his birth until now, ten years later, I've proven to him over and over again, he has no need to worry about those things because I will take care of them. I'll make sure he has food to eat. And I'll make sure he has clothes to wear. And so he doesn't worry about those things. And Jesus is saying that that's the thing we forget when we give ourselves over to anxiety and fear and worry, isn't it? That we forget that we have a father. We pretend like God is not our father and like he has not promised and been faithful time and time and time again to provide for us all that we need. And we pretend like whatever it is that's in front of us that's got us bothered and worried and anxious and afraid, is we, we pretend like He hasn't provided for us and He might not provide for us in the future when all He has ever done for us is keep His word and be faithful time after time. I forget that I have a Father. When I'm anxious, I forget that I'm loved. My God and my Father, who is so concerned about birds and flowers that don't even last very long, that He cares for their needs and he loves me infinitely more than he could ever love a bird or a flower because I'm his child I forget that I forget that I'm loved I forget that my worry doesn't accomplish anything (laughs) have you ever told yourself that hey idiot what are you worried about what do you think you're doing what are you getting out of this thing Vance Habner said this one time he said worry like a rocking chair will give you something to do but it won't get you anywhere it's true. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. I read some statistics this week. The average person's anxiety is focused 40% on things that will never happen. That means 40% of the things that you get anxious about, that you're worried about, that you get all worked up about and in turmoil about, are things that will never, ever actually happen. That's 40% of the things we worry about. Another 30% of the things we worry about are things in the past that can't be changed. Things in the past that can't be changed. We can't rewind the tape. We can't go back in history and undo what's been done. Worrying about it accomplishes nothing. 12% of the things we worry about are related to criticism by others. Frankly, mostly things that are untrue. Again, something we can't do anything about. 10% of the things that we worry about are related to our health, which incidentally gets worse with stress and worry. Really, only 8% of the things that we are anxious about are real problems that will actually be faced. Think about that for a minute. Even if those statistics are remotely true, 92% of the things that we worry about and get afraid of and give ourselves over to anxiety over and are in turmoil about are things that will never happen and can never be changed. And worrying about it will accomplish absolutely nothing. I read a story this week about some chaplains that were working with pilots during the Korean War. During the Korean War, U.S. pilots were uh, just sort of getting used to flying jet airplanes. And there was a chaplain that was meeting with some pilots 
and who were worrying about flying the jets. And he said this to this group of pilots. He said, listen, men, when you're flying your jets, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be flying straight or you're going to be turning over. And if you're flying straight, you have nothing to worry about. And if you're turning over, well, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to right the plane or you're going to crash. And if you right the plane, you don't have anything to worry about. But if you crash, well, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to be injured uh, in minor ways or you're going to be injured seriously. And if, you're, if you have minor injuries, well, there's nothing to worry about. And if you have serious injuries, well, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to live and get well or you'll die. And if you live, then there's nothing to worry about. And if you die, you can't worry, so quit worrying. It's great advice. I wish I'd come up with it. The last thing I forget about when I'm overcome with these things is I forget that I'm saved. Jesus said in that little little text, didn't he? He said, you know, you're worried about all these things. This is the kind of stuff that the Gentiles worry about. That's his stinger way of saying, you belong to me. What right do you have to be worried about the stuff that lost people? Lost people don't belong to me. They don't have all of my promises. You're my child. You've been adopted into my family. All of my promises are yes and amen in my son Jesus, and they all belong to you. And everything that I promised I've been faithful to forever, and I will be faithful to forever. Don't live like you're lost, because you're not. You're mine. You belong to me. Live like a saved person. Live like a person who belongs to the family of the creator of the universe. Live like someone who belongs to the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and shed His blood to pay for every sin of our life, to redeem our soul, who has loved us to that degree. Live like you belong to me. Listen, when we give ourselves over to fear and anxiety and worry, we're living like lost people. We forget that we're saved. And we need to remember these things. And that's what this man is preaching to his soul in Psalm 42. He is saying to himself, Self, this is not the way it ought to be. Why are you like this? Life is bigger than these things. Your life is bigger than the circumstances. You are loved. You have a Father who cares about you. Worrying is accomplishing nothing. You're a believer. You you trust in God. That's the message he's preaching to his soul. Quickly, he does two more things. He commands his will to act. He says to himself, hope in God. Self, quit putting your hope in other things. Self, put your hope in God. Quit looking at your circumstances. Quit worrying about the enemies. Quit worrying about all the things. Trust in God. Jerry Bridges says this, Trust is not a passive state of mind, but a vigorous act of the soul whereby we choose to lay hold on the promise of God in spite of the adversity that sometimes feels like it will overwhelm us. This man commands his emotions to get in line with the truth. Stop hoping in other things. Stop giving yourself over to anxiety and worry. Stop giving yourself over to fear. Trust in God. Trust in God. We sing a song around here called Be Still My Soul. It's a song that we sing that is really written from that perspective. It's one of the reasons why we sing it, because we need to be reminded that we often need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, Self, be still. Don't give yourself over to this. Trust in God. The last thing he does is this. He declares what he does not feel. He declares what he does not feel. He says... I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. You get that? I shall praise Him again. Yes, life is overwhelming right now. Yes, this pain and this trouble has gone on and on and on. Yes, I've prayed over and over and over and over. And God seems distant. And God seems like He's rejecting me. And it feels like He's not paying me any attention. But I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt... This is going to happen. I will praise Him again. God will be faithful to His promise. God will come through in the end. God will rescue me before I go down. God will supply my every need according to His glorious riches. It will happen. I can't see it. I can't feel it right this second. 
I can't look to my calendar and mark the date, but it will happen because He is who He promised He is. And He, His truth and His honesty is on the line. And He'll come through. He'll come through. I will praise Him again. I will come out of this storm. I will get out to the other side of this. I will not sink and go under and drown. I will not be crushed by this. God will help me. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Our longest sorrows have a close. And there is a bottom to the profoundest depths of our misery. Our winters shall not frown forever. Summer shall soon smile. He's a man who could say, in the midst of great pain and opposition, I will praise him again. God will come through. He will make this right. Listen, I don't know what you're, what you're walking through right now, but you'll notice that this psalm ends before we see the end of the story. He doesn't give us a happy ending. He doesn't say, yeah, and by the way, here's how it all got right in the end. That's how we like our movies to end, right? We like the good guys to come through. We like to see it all resolved in a happy way and happy, you know, live happily ever after. But there's nothing like that. The psalm ends with the man still in despair, still in pain, still preaching to his soul, and still declaring God's going to come through. He's going to come through. He hasn't yet, but he will. And that's where we're left with it. And I think that's good, and I think it's right. Because it leaves us in the place where he is. And I don't know where you've come this morning or how the condition of your soul is. If any of this relates to your experience at the moment, or if in your life you're one that regularly is tempted to give yourselves over to worry and anxiety and fear, one who is who is regularly tempted to allow your soul to remain in turmoil within you. I hope you'll hear this broken man's cry and you'll see his battle plan and you'll take it as your own. That when you find yourself in that place, you will do what he's done. You will preach that message to yourself. You will run to your God. You'll pour out your soul at his feet. And then you'll declare that He's faithful and He's going to help you in His time. And then you'll march on and do what He's called you to do with joy because you can trust Him. You can trust the one who says, Seek first my kingdom and its righteousness. And all these things that you need, all these things that you worry about, all these things that you're afraid of, all these things, they'll be added unto you. I'll take care of them. He's the one who says, I love you. I care for you. So you can drop all of that on my lap. He's the one who says to you, come to me all who are weary. Who've been swimming and swimming and running from the hunter. Feeling like you're drowning. Come to me and I will give you rest. Do you need rest this morning? Do you need peace this morning? What things are are swirling around in your head this morning that are causing you anxiety and fear and worry. What I want you to do as we close, I'm not asking you to stand up or go anywhere and do anything except for one thing. I want you to pause for a moment. If you have a pen or a piece of paper, I want you to write down on it right now the top three things that cause worry, fear, and anxiety in your life. Right now. I want you to do it. Right now. At least pretend like you're doing it, so I'll think you are. The top three things... The top three things that regularly trigger in your heart worry, fear, anxiety. If you don't have something to write with, write them in your mind. And after you write those down, bow your heads and pray. And I'm going to pray over us all. Lord, This psalm assaults us because it exposes so much of our failure. It exposes the most pervasive sin in our lives. It exposes our lack of trust and faith in you when life is hard. And all of us have these things in our life. My friends are writing right now the three things that are personal to them. I don't need to know them because you already know them. 
I pray, Lord, that in the three areas that they've written down right now, for everyone who's in this room, that this week you would help them in the battle. That you would help them to run to you when these things begin to creep into their mind and into their soul. That they would be able to authentically and with rawness just pour them out before you. I pray that you'd help them to preach to their own soul this week in regards to these things. The truth of your word. The good theology that they've been storing up all the years that they've been walking with you. About your faithfulness and your goodness and your love. I pray, Lord, that you would help them, Lord, to command their own will to act and to declare your faithfulness and your certain rescue even when they can't see it. And I pray that this week for my friends they would see deliverance that's real, that's clear, and that's obvious in these three areas of their life by the power of your Holy Spirit And Lord Jesus, for those who don't know you, fear and anxiety and worry are real and they have no resource within them to address them. Their only hope is to run to you, confess their sin, embrace you as their Lord and Savior, commit their lives to you that they might become part of your family and inherit all your promises. So if there's some who don't know you this morning, I pray that they'd be saved now. Lord, you have to help us with this. If it's up to us, we'll ignore this. We'll push it off. We'll make excuses. We'll act like it's no big deal. If you don't help us, if right now by your Spirit you don't expose this in our hearts and draw us to repent and run to you, I pray that you do that as we sing this last song together. For Christ's sake and for his glory alone. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing. I'm in the back of the room. We've got others back here. We'd love to pray with you, answer questions if you...